Hello and welcome to your guide to the good stuff. I'm your host, Jim Graber. Life is too short not to enjoy every moment of it, so we're going to share with you the tips, tricks, tools, and strategies to help make your day-to-day life easier and more enjoyable. Plus, we're going to help you create those special moments, the ones that lead to lifetime memories, all without breaking the bank, because you deserve it. Hello and welcome to episode number eight, The Battle of the Bulge. It seems an ever-increasing number of people are struggling with their weight, especially as we get older. For most of my life, I could stand to lose a few pounds, and especially after college. I worked as a process engineer in a plastics injection molding plant. I was on salary, and 10-hour days were the norm. I got tired of pumping change into the vending machine for a soda, so I got the bright idea of bringing in a 2-liter of soda with the thought it should last at least a week. And initially that went well, but then it progressed to nearly a two liter being drank every day. Now I didn't drink coffee back then and the sound and smell of the fizz of a soda would wake me up even before I took a drink. But after I gained 20 pounds, I realized I needed a change. I switched to tea and lost five pounds in one week. I didn't lose that much the next week, but it locked into my mind the relationship between weight gain and calorie intake versus calorie burn. I think in your 20s it's as simple as that, but it gets more complicated as you get older. I want to stop right here and say I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a doctor. Always consult a health professional before engaging in any diet or major change in exercise, but everything I'm going to tell you is based on what I've experienced. I had that idea of calorie intake versus calorie burn firmly locked in my mind. I knew if I just burned more calories, I would be fine. I've never been afraid of hard work, and my family will tell you that I'm always involved in some project at home, building something, working on something. We watch very little TV in our house, and weeks can go by when it's not even turned on. Now that changes when the NFL football season starts, but otherwise I'm always on the move. I like to lift weights, and we have a nice setup in one of the basement rooms. I like to ride my bike and play tennis. I always figured I could eat what I wanted as long as I burned more calories than I consumed. But by 30, I got to be 20 pounds overweight and seemed to stay there. A special event would happen, and we would really focus, and I could drop five or six pounds, but it seemed like within a week, I was right back to the 20 pounds heavy. One year, my wife got the South Beach Diet book, and she read it out loud as we drove a couple hours away to take my oldest daughter to a softball tournament. It talked about the issues with highly processed foods, and anything that says it's enriched means it's had all the nutrients beat out of it in manufacturing, and then they added artificial supplements back in to make it nutritional, and your body has no idea what to do with these added supplements. Plus, high fructose corn syrup is a mega loaded with calories. It's a super sweet and it's in almost everything you eat today. High fructose corn syrup was discovered in 1957, but the process to make it efficiently and economically was not invented until 1977. And it happens to be 10 to 20% cheaper than raw sugar. And it's a preservative. So it's in everything. I think if we look back at the track of how heavy Americans have gotten, we could trace it back and match the curve of how much this has been produced versus how heavy people are getting. But we gave the South Beach diet a shot, 
The first two week is no sugars of any kind, processed or natural. I'll never forget those two weeks for two big reasons. Number one, almost everything, it seems, has added sugar. I mean, canned red kidney beans have added sugar. I can't even imagine why. Just go look at the labels of the foods in your pantry, and you're going to be shocked. Along the same lines, eating a plain baked potato pumps sugar into your bloodstream faster than eating a spoonful of sugar. Simple carbs digest very quickly, and he said a potato, a baked potato in particular, is practically pre-digested. Pretty gross, I know, but I still like them. Adding butter, cheese, and sour cream actually helps reduce the insulin spike. So while it may add a few calories, it actually gives your body a chance to handle the calories. And then number two, and most importantly, I found out sugar is highly addictive. Now, I have no idea what it's like to be addicted to some sort of hard drug, but a sugar addiction seems to be in the ballpark of that. After about three days, our attitudes were just angry all the time at nothing. Plus, I got a nice headache to go along with it and low energy. Doing this together was the only way we were going to be able to do it. A partner in pain is what you need. But I lost 15 pounds in a month. And as the diet continues, you slowly add back in natural sugars and some processed sugars is the idea. But over time, we drifted away from it. I remember the first time I had a fountain soda, having been on the diet for three or four weeks, and it was so syrupy, so sugary, it was so gross, I thought, how in the world did I drink this? Well, I got very quickly back into drinking it. But in my mind, sugar was a source of high calories, which kept with the calories in versus calories out idea I had. But the body's reaction to sugar and insulin production was a key I missed. Even with the description of how a baked potato spikes your insulin, I still didn't quite understand the relationship. I eventually got back to the 20 pounds overweight I seem to have always been. Then in early February 2020, after a trip to Florida, I woke up and could not focus my eyes. I've always fought sinus issues every time the temperatures change, and I attributed this issue to that. It had been 80 degrees in Florida, and a three-hour plane ride later back to Kansas City, it was 20 degrees. But decongestants and steam showers didn't help. Long story short, my wife got my stubborn self into the ER, and it turned out I had had a mini-stroke. Luckily, the symptoms were gone the next day, but they spent two more days trying to discover the cause. I won't go into the process, but they found half of my thyroid had to be removed. This, of course, affects your metabolism. By the time they got my medication right, a year later, I'd hit a record high weight of 40 pounds over normal. Now understand, my normal is 40 pounds above what the experts say I should weigh for my height, but I've not weighed that little since I was a freshman in high school and well before I started beginning weight training. So for me, a flat stomach is my guide. I've just got too broad of shoulders and too big of a chest to fit into the stereotypical weight that you're supposed to be. So with 40 pounds above what I thought I should be, I started dieting. I got a watch to track my calories being burned and an app to record the food I intook. I lost five or six pounds. I had started an exercise program of weightlifting three days a week and bike riding two to three days a week. And other than two or three pounds initially, I had almost no results. 
So my doctor put me on an appetite suppressant that worked great initially. I lost close to 20 pounds, but it wasn't a good long-term answer with the side effects. And several months later, I was back close to my peak weight. Then my wife found the answer. She found it in a book by Tara Spencer called The Insulin-Resistant Diet Plan and Cookbook. So I found out through this book there's something called insulin resistance. It's found in pre-diabetic people and diabetic people. What happens is the body gets so saturated with processed sugars, from the run-of-the-mill table sugar added to high fructose corn syrup added, of course, again, the corn syrup being a major issue in food and drink today. But as a result of all that sugar intake, the cells become immune to listening to the insulin to use the sugar. And when the body has something it doesn't know what to do, it seems to just store it as fat. Rather than expel it, the body decides to keep it. And I kind of understand the process when I start thinking about all the odd bolts, fasteners, and brackets I keep in my garage, imagining I'll find a use for them someday. I don't throw anything out. I just keep it. Now, while my devices showed I was burning more calories than I consumed, my body was not actually burning those calories. It just started storing them. And as an added negative bonus with the insulin resistance, the body absorbs less nutrients. So as I reduce calorie intake, I seem to always be hungry. It doesn't spell that out in anything I've read that is a reaction or symptom, but based on my physical experience, it makes sense to me. The body needs more nutrients. It tells you to eat more. The problem is every processed food has added sugar or the high fructose corn syrup I mentioned, and often both. Again, go look at a few labels in your pantry. So that begs the question, why all the sugar? Well, I think it's important to understand the state of food manufacturing today to understand the weight problems we have as a society. First off, the food industry is not intentionally trying to make us fat or trying to kill us, but thanks to the media in Hollywood, we're constantly reminded how evil corporations are and how they're killing us all in the name of profit. Add to that that most people have no idea what it takes to keep up with the volume of food our society needs, and you get an easy acceptance of such propaganda. Now, I've grown up in the manufacturing industry, and the last decade in, decade in particular, I've worked with a lot of food plants. Let me give you a few examples to illustrate just how massive our food requirements are. I work with a pork production company. They process 20,000 pigs a day, every day, all year. There's another pig processing plant one and a half hours away from this one, and they process 15,000 pigs a day. Now just stop and consider that volume. For pork, what's it got to be for beef? In 2021, the United States processed 115 million hogs. Now, given that most plants run 24-7, that averages out to 13,000 pigs an hour. 25 years ago, in my machine shop, we made parts for a company that manufactured equipment that processed 60 chickens a minute, and I'm sure the need has gone up since then. It's amazing how much we need. The point is, it takes a lot of work to keep the food supply moving, and consumers demand quote-unquote fresh food. 
I was waiting for a meeting with one of my customers one time, and they make additives from corn. And I was browsing a magazine there in their lobby, and it had an advertisement for one of the products they made. It was an additive that when added to cake mix, you could freeze the cake, and then when you thawed it, the cake would still be moist. Pretty crazy, right? And my guess is the body would have no idea how to process this additive and would probably, at least in my case, turn it to fat. But to meet the demand for cake, it has to be mass-produced, frozen for shipping, then presented as a moist, fresh cake at your local store. In a similar fashion, high fructose corn syrup and sugar are added as a preservative and, of course, to enhance the flavor of foods that might be bland otherwise by the time we get them. Food today has to stay fresh or more accurately unspoiled longer before it reaches the consumer than ever before. I read a lot from a cardiologist that claims cardiovascular disease is not so much about the cholesterol as it is an allergic reaction to too much sugar. The allergic reaction causes the arteries to flare out in essence inside, causing the inside of your arteries to have exposed flaps of tissue sticking up, which gives places for plaque to catch and start building up. He has a ton of research to support this as well, and he has personal experience with all of his patients. Made a lot of sense to me, and it showed that low cholesterol didn't necessarily solve anything. But reducing sugar intake is important not just for weight loss, but also for heart health. Now, it takes 30 days to turn the body around to a proper response to excess sugar. In other words, make it responsive to insulin. The primary part of the diet is no processed sugars for 30 days. And again, you have to be careful because processed sugar is in everything. The second ingredient in a beef jerky, for example, that I had used as a healthy snack choice, lists brown sugar as, again, the second ingredient. But natural sugars are fine, like honey, stevia, fruit, and interestingly enough, dark chocolate is okay. Avoid alcohol and starches as well for the next 30 days. You can read the cookbook for the details. And by the way, distilled spirits have zero sugars. The yeast, the yeast eats the sugars and the spirit is distilled out as pure alcohol. Beer and wine still retain the sugars not consumed by the yeast during fermentation, but all alcohol does contain calories, and for at least 30 days, it's best to avoid it. So we had to find ingredients to swap out, ones that didn't have sugar. We found a really good sugar-free barbecue sauce made with honey, for example. You can find sugar-free pasta sauce, and it's taken some work, but the best part of it all is I did not have to count calories. I never felt hungry, and yet I lost 15 pounds in 26 days doing nothing more than eliminating sugar from my diet. Now, since the diet has not felt like a diet, we're continuing the process. Many of the meals in the cookbook have been added to our regular rotation of meals. The important takeaway here is while it's important to consume fewer calories than you burn, the type of calories has a major impact on your results especially as we get older and our metabolism slows down. The author of the cookbook states right off the bat that it's estimated 75% of Americans are insulin resistant, with of course most of them not even knowing it. 
It's a testament to how much sugar we have in our diet and don't even know we're consuming it. Add into this, the condition reduces effective absorption of nutrients. And again, for me, the body triggers a hunger response for more nutrients, even after sufficient calories have been ingested, and you get the obesity problem that we have today. To me, it perfectly explains that obesity problem and why simply counting calories is never going to work. It takes discipline to watch out for added sugars. And somebody like me, I love ice cream, so it can be difficult. You don't have to give them up forever, but you certainly have to go through what I would call a cleansing period so that you can get your insulin response back. Again, read the Insulin Resistant Diet Plan and Cookbook by Tara Spencer. I'll have a link in the blog on our webpage and in the email you get if you signed up for your emails. We're always interested to hear what you think. Please go to our website, yourguidetothegoodstuff.com, and leave us feedback. That's Y-O-U-R, guidetothegoodstuff.com. You can also reach out at our email, yourguidetothegoodstuff at gmail.com. New episodes are released every Monday and can be found wherever you get your podcast. As an added benefit, if you sign up for our email, you will receive a synopsis of what Monday's episode is about on the Sunday before, Plus, you'll get any links we share and behind-the-scenes photos delivered to your email on the Monday after the episode is released. In the meantime, have a fantastic week, and as my friend would always say, Arrivederci.